Hey, Antioch Church family, I am so excited to be with you today as we celebrate Easter, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to have an incredible time together as one church in many homes and apartments across Dallas and even around the world. And as we get ready to encounter Jesus and celebrate Him together, I want to ask you to do something because I believe we have an opportunity on this particular Easter uh, that's going to be really powerful. You know, when you think about the, the, the first Easter, you think the disciples, for sure, if you read through the Gospels, did not see the resurrection coming. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, they were taken aback and they were so moved that that has become the central event in human history. And as we enter into this Easter, we, uh, I don't think any of us, you know, six months ago, nine months ago, saw this type of Easter coming. But I'm hoping that today, in this surprise of an Easter Sunday, that we can connect as well with the resurrection power uh, that the first Easter unleashed upon the world. And as I've been watching the crisis unfold with the coronavirus, one of the things that I've seen uh, in news outlets and research outlets in various places is that this is awakening a spiritual hunger in our generation unlike previous times. That people are going to Google. I, I saw one article that tracked the number of Google searches related to prayer and praying to God and how do I pray. Uh, it's just spiked as the virus has shut down much of the world. It's, it's driving people to their knees in the place of prayer. Uh, I saw this week that the mayor of Houston asked everyone in the entire city to pray at noon on a particular day for God to move. There's, there's a spiritual hunger that's coming out in our generation. I read that one Bible uh, publisher said they've sold more Bibles in the last two months than they did in the previous two years. So people are turning to prayer, turning to God's Word because they're looking for hope. They're looking for truth. They're looking for power in the midst of the chaos and confusion that's all around us. And so I want to lead us in what I believe is an opportunity that we all have. Uh, you're probably watching this in your apartment or in your home. Maybe you're sitting on your couch uh, and, you know, we've cut off travel. We kind of got to stay where we are. But I want to take us on a virtual mission trip as we get started today. I want to take you out of your, your, your home where you are or your apartment. And I want, to, I want to lead you into the mission field that we all have through the relationships around us. And so as we get started, I want to encourage you uh, to take a moment right now and I want to encourage you to take this link on our YouTube page, the link to this service, and I want to encourage you and challenge you to go on a mission trip with us and to go on a digital mission trip and to take that link right now and share this on your social media platform. Maybe that's Facebook, maybe that's Instagram, maybe that's Twitter, maybe that's some other platform that you're into. Maybe it's text messages. You want to send some text to friends, but I want to encourage you to take this and share it with your world. Maybe there's someone specific that you're like, man, I really would like for them to get to experience the hope of Jesus. Because right now, our generation is searching. Our generation is seeking. Our generation is hungry, and they're looking for answers. And we know that the answer is Jesus Christ. 
And we all have people in our world that may be turning to Google or maybe turning to a bookstore trying to figure out God. And we have the opportunity to present Jesus to them today on this Easter Sunday. So I want to ask you in just a moment to pause the video, to stop and to pull your phone out and to go onto your social media platform or, or text a group of friends or your soccer team or coworkers or whoever it may be and share this link with them and invite them to experience Jesus alongside of us this Sunday. The second thing that I want to ask you to do is on our YouTube page is to hit the subscribe button. And the reason that I want you to hit the subscribe button is the YouTube algorithm is constantly trying to figure out which videos to show to new people. And they look at channels and they look at things like number of subscribers to decide, is this a quality channel? And so there are people around the world going to the internet, trying to search and find God. And if we'll take the time to hit subscribe, one of the things that will tell YouTube is, hey, when someone's searching about God, when someone's searching in YouTube about Jesus, show this as a recommended video. It's a simple way that we can go on a virtual mission trip together and get the word out. And think about the impact. There are people that you may never meet that got introduced to Jesus because you took time right now to share or to hit subscribe. And as you do that, I want to invite us all to pray over these seeds that we're sowing. So I'm going to pray. I want you to hit pause when I get done. Take a moment to share this, and then we're going to jump in to our service together. So Jesus, uh, in this moment in our generation where people are hungry and seeking and searching, Lord, we just want to pray over these seeds that we're about to sow via Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat or text message or however it's getting out. Lord, we want to take time to pray over these, Lord. And we're asking that as we sow these seeds, Lord, that people that are searching and seeking for you, Lord, that you would connect it via the power of the internet, Lord. And that you would bring your hope and your love and your grace into people's lives as our generation is searching for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So hit pause. And then when you've done that, jump back in and we'll continue in our service. Okay, I am excited to see what those seeds sown will, will do. Who knows what the Lord might do uh, through that little step that you took, through that mission trip that we just went on. And now as we begin to uh, look at God's Word today and we begin to celebrate Jesus and celebrate Easter, I want to uh, remind you of something that we all used to do uh, before the quarantine. We used to go places. And I was thinking about that this week of places that we used to go. And uh, I was like, man, I'd really like to go someplace. I've been in my house a lot lately, as I imagine you have as well. And it caused me to remember when I was a kid, my family, uh, each summer, we'd go on a family vacation. I grew up in Texas. My parents lived in Texas, but my dad's family was in North Carolina. And so each summer, or just about every summer, we would take time during the summer to go to North Carolina to see my dad's family, to see my grandfather and my aunts and uncles and my cousins and we didn't fly, or if we flew, it wasn't very often. Mainly, we would drive. And that's a long drive. If you think about driving from Texas to North Carolina, it's a long drive. It's an even longer drive if you're a kid. 
I think when you're a kid, time in the car just seems multiplied by about a thousand. And that was in the day before we had the iPhone and the iPad where we could stream in whatever movies or music or games we wanted to do. Uh, That was before built-in DVD players in the car. And what that meant was those drives often were very boring. They were very monotonous. You would sit there and look out the window as mile after mile after mile went by. Uh, My family would try and mix it up. Uh, We would pick a restaurant like Cracker Barrel, and we'd say, hey, we're going to use Cracker Barrels as our mile markers for breakfast and lunch and dinner because everyone in our family could find something they liked at Cracker Barrel. Remember when we used to go to restaurants? I'm going to be excited to go to a restaurant when this thing is over. But we would do that, and as a kid, I would look forward to that, and it would kind of break up the monotony. And then finally, we would be to the mountains. Once you get into Tennessee and on into North Carolina, and we get into the Smoky Mountains. And so you're going from this long, monotonous drive, and now you're climbing into these beautiful mountains. And if you've ever driven the mountains, you know you weave and you wind and maybe you go through a tunnel and if you get car sick, you're definitely getting car sick. And from time to time, uh, for a moment, the trees would cut away, the mountain would cut away, and there would be one of these scenic views that you would look out your car window and just see the majesty of the mountains right in front of you. And they'd have like a little parking area and you could pull over and we would pull over and get out and you would be able just to kind of take a moment to take in just this breathtaking sight of the mountains and the forest in all their glory. And I remember as a kid, I would do that and I would uh, scoot, you know, go up to the scenic view and there would be this sense of fear in me because I realized how far down it was. And I realized I need to watch my step. I need to pay careful attention right now because I for sure don't want to fall off the edge of this cliff. And so you'd have this sense of fear, but you'd also have this sense of awe at how big everything was. You'd be like, man, I am so small compared to just how big all this stuff is. And this stuff was around before me. These mountains were around before me. They'll probably be around long after me. I'm such just a small little person in the grand scheme of things. And you'd be awed by the beauty and the majesty of the mountains. And you just sit there and take it all in. Those scenic views in the mountains. And in our scripture today, in our passage of scripture in Philippians today, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this as a letter to a church in Philippi long ago, takes us all to a scenic view. Not of the Smoky Mountains, but a a view, a breathtaking view of who God is. And this passage of Scripture is perfect for Easter Sunday, is perfect for Resurrection Sunday. And I want to lead you, as Paul led uh, the Philippians, I want to take you along that same path to take in this scenic view of the majesty and the splendor and the goodness of Jesus together here on Easter Sunday. The passage is Philippians chapter 2. We, we hit on this. We, we drove by, so to speak, this passage a few weeks ago, but today we're going to stop the car. We're going to get out and we're going to take in uh, this picture of Jesus for all. He writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ 
Jesus. So he's going to begin to speak about Jesus. And as I was thinking about our time together today, I thought one of the ways to help us all engage and interact with God's Word is if you'll get out a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil or map pencils or crayons. And I want to encourage you as I talk, I want to encourage you to draw as we go through this, just little signs and symbols to help you engage with God's Word. So in the center of your paper, uh, if you'll write Jesus, right, because that's who we're talking about, that's who Paul is going to talk about, that's our scenic view. He is our scenic view here. And Paul goes on to describe Jesus. And he says, who, Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now let's stop there because there's some really important views right here. There's some really important phrases right here that we need to see as we're taking in who God is. The first thing that we see and that Paul wants us to know is that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God. Jesus is not uh, just a godly man or a saint or a prophet or a teacher. Jesus Christ is God. He says, He, Jesus, in the very nature of God. And so if you're a Christian, you, you need to know this, that Jesus is God. And if you're not a Christian, or maybe you came from a Muslim background or a Jehovah's Witness background, or a Mormon background, uh, or some other kind of religion or belief system, and you have questions about who is Jesus, right? The first thing that Paul wants you to know is that Jesus is God, that when we see Jesus, we see God. The way the Nicene Creed, which church fathers put together to help summarize the essentials of the Christian faith, describe it, they say, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, meaning Jesus is eternal. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made, right? He was not created. Jesus is eternal and of the same essence as the Father. Jesus is God. When we see Jesus, we see God. And that's important for where we're going. And he says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you realize Paul is making a reference to a story uh, that came in the opening pages of Scripture. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to Scripture, I want to remind you of that story, maybe tell it to you for the first time, although it's a very well-known story. You see, right here, Paul is giving a throwback to the story of Adam and Eve. Because you see, Adam and Eve, they were made in the image of God. And yet they use their, their identity, they use their position, they use their power for their own advantage. They took of the forbidden fruit. They said, we want to be like God. We want to grasp for that. We want to take that. We want to take it into our own hands. We want to use it. We want to take it for our own advantage. And Paul is contrasting Jesus with Adam. And he's saying Jesus, who was in, who was, uh, in the form of God, or sorry, um, who was in the nature of God, didn't consider that to be something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped at and taken for himself. 
But what did Jesus do? Verse 7, he said, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And so as you're on your drawing where you have Jesus in the center, maybe to describe that he's God, you're, you're drawing like rays of light around his name, light from light, true God from true God. And then you want to put this, Jesus is not like Adam of Genesis chapters 1 through 3. He's not like the first Adam. In fact, elsewhere, Paul calls him the last Adam. Because although there's some similarities, Jesus is the true and better Adam. That he didn't make the mistake Adam did. He's actually very, very different. And then maybe you want to draw a picture of a servant because here it says that Jesus, rather than using uh, his position and power for his own advantage, that he used his power and position to come as a servant. And here we begin to see the character and nature of God. We begin to see what God is like. That God, the great King and Creator of all, chooses to come as a servant. This reveals the servant-heartedness of God. Uh, I, I, when you go to a Ranger game, uh, a Texas Ranger game, and they're having the players come out to the plate to, to bat, right? They play a walk-up song. They play some song over the loudspeakers that kind of sets the mood for this player's time in the sun. Sets the mood for their place at the plate, right? And it fits their personality, and the players get to choose it. Of You know, this is what I want to go out to. And uh, in a sense, we're looking at Jesus's walkout song here. When I was in high school and we played sports, our team would run out to music, right? We'd want to have the perfect song that would just kind of summarize how awesome we were for everyone to take notice. Welcome to the jungle or something like that, right? That's what we were going out to. We were excited. Uh, if I had a personal walk-up song, I thought about this. You know, I think I'd walk up to I Have a Tiger, you know, like Rocky Balboa going to fight even Drago. I think that'd be really cool. Well, I wonder what your walkout song would be. Jesus' walkout song. What he wants to be around him and be seen and be known is that his walkout song is that he's choosing to come as a servant. The maker of man choosing to become man. The creator of all, the author of all, inserting himself in the story, taking on human likeness. And so Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. Fully God and fully man, Jesus comes as a servant. And in 1981, there was a PBS documentary about Christianity uh, that focused in kind of on what's being highlighted here and made a really interesting observation. Uh, they said Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central focus the suffering and the degradation or the humiliation, the servant-heartedness of its God. The crucifixion is so familiar to us and so moving that it is hard to realize how unusual it is as an image of God. Now think about what they're saying. They're saying this idea that Christianity is centered around God as a servant entering our world. There's just no other view of God like that. It's the only major religion with that view, or I would argue the revelation 
of what God is like, that when we see God, we see one who has come to serve, who chooses to reveal himself as a servant. Paul goes on in verse 8, and he continues this theme of Jesus' incarnation, the maker of man becoming man. And he says, being found in appearance as man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now note what this says. It says that Jesus, he humbled himself. And Paul's wanting to highlight again, uh, echo upon echo, the humility of Jesus. That he is choosing to humble himself. And he is choosing to humble himself by becoming obedient to the plan of the triune God to redeem humanity. He's obedient to the point of death. This is a costly obedience. That he becomes obedient to the point of dying of his own free choice and will, giving himself even death on a cross. And again, because the cross is somewhat familiar to us in America, we see it on jewelry, we see it on churches, we can kind of become uh, used to it. But in Jesus' day, the cross was something embarrassing. Jürgen Moltmann described it like this. He said, crucifixion was regarded as the most degrading kind of punishment someone could have. It was regarded as an offense against good manners to speak of this hideous death for slaves in the presence of respectable people. So in Jesus' day, crucifixion was the most humiliating, most embarrassing, most degrading way to die. It was a way that they put to death rebellious slaves. The society decided it had no more value in this world, no place in this world. The only thing for them was to be embarrassed and ashamed and to take their lives through crucifixion. And that is the route that Jesus chose. The majesty of God, the King of all, humbling Himself, showing His true humility, coming as a servant coming as man, being obedient to the point of death, and even being obedient to the point of death on the cross, taking the lowest place of the low and identifying with all of us there. Now, when Scripture tries to describe, well, what does this mean? What does the cross mean? So Jesus goes to the cross. He's obedient to the point of death on the cross. The New Testament uses lots of different images to help us connect with the meaning. I was thinking through some of those images. Some imagery we read as we read through the New Testament is that what happens on the cross and in the resurrection is the great and final verdict. And what that imagery suggests is that we, humanity, is guilty, and yet though we're guilty, we're putting Jesus, the innocent one, on the cross. And yet from the cross, Jesus declares, you are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? It's in the cross that we find forgiveness. That the cross means the great verdict of God declaring guilty sinners like you and me forgiven because Jesus has taken the punishment that we deserve upon 
Himself. At the cross, we find forgiveness. So again, if you're drawing, you might draw like a, a gavel, you know, like a judge would use, and you're forgiven or you're exonerated. Uh, it's not just that, though. right? The New Testament describes Jesus as our substitute. He's the one who stood in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve, right? The Scripture says that God made Him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin so that we, who definitely know sin, could become the righteousness of God. Jesus is our substitute. He takes our place. And He takes our sin. And in our place, He gives us His healing. At the cross, we find healing because Jesus is our substitute. Another image that's used is that Jesus is our sacrifice. That He is sacrificing Himself on the cross. The Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. He's the sacrifice in which we find cleansing for our souls. From the stain and the degradation of sin, we find cleansing in Jesus. So maybe you draw a bar of soap to help you connect with that. Jesus is that sacrifice for our cleansing. Another image uh, shows us that Jesus on the cross was battling the powers of sin and death and hell and Satan. That there was this cosmic battle that Jesus was battling and He rose on the third day. He rose victorious to save us from our captivity to the power of sin and Satan. So Jesus is our Savior and He brings us freedom. We find our freedom in the cross. So maybe we draw chains breaking there. Another image that Scripture uses is that Jesus is our ransom and redeemer. That he pays a great price with his own blood. You've been redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb. And he redeems us. He brings us out from our slavery. And he adopts us into the family of God. He makes us a child of God. <coughs> so on the cross, we find our adoption into the family of God. And all of those images are so powerful and so meaningful and so beautiful. But it's not the image that Paul uses in this description. He uses them elsewhere, but he gives us another image to describe the meaning of what was happening on the cross. And with that, he takes us into the resurrection. And this is what he says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. He said, therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. What's the image that we're seeing? We're seeing the image that Jesus is king. That when Jesus went to the cross that God, and he died, God raised him from the dead. And he raised him as a king. And Jesus ascended to the Father and is king over all. He's God's chosen king for all of creation. Paul is saying that the, one of the meanings of the cross is it's there that we find our true and rightful king. This good God who loved us so much, he humbled himself and he came and he died on a cross that he's the one that's been raised over all to be the type of king that you and I need and long to follow. Jesus is our king. He's a king that at his name, every knee would bow. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so here we see that as Jesus rose from the dead, He rose as a victorious King. And on the cross and in the resurrection, He has delivered the decisive battle in the battle between the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of darkness. That Jesus has laid the decisive blow to Satan's kingdom. And the kingdom of Jesus is inaugurated there in the resurrection. Now, we've not reached the consummation of the kingdom. The kingdom is now. That life is available to us now. But it's also not yet. We still see Things like the coronavirus. We still see things that are demonic and filled with sin. We still see those things all around our world. And yet in the midst of our world, the kingdom of God has broken through and is breaking through. And we celebrate that today. And we remember that there is a day that is to come when the kingdom will be consummated, when things like the coronavirus will be no more. When death will be no more. When sorrow will be no more. When suffering will be no more. When we all will get to be a part of King Jesus' kingdom. For everyone who says, Jesus, I want you to be my king. There is a kingdom coming for you to be a part of that will make earth look like heaven. The will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven as Jesus taught us to pray. That's to come. The kingdom is now and not yet. And here on the cross, we're reminded in the resurrection, we get the revelation of King Jesus. That He's a humble King that's come for us. Now, why do I think this is so significant for us today? Well, I think this message is powerful. The King Jesus is powerful for all of life, but particularly for today, for what it provides for us. And I want to turn to another passage of Scripture that Paul wrote where he leans into some of the resource that we find as we remember King Jesus and His kingdom that is coming. He says in in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, so instead of writing to the church at Philippi, he's now writing to the church in a city called Thessalonica. And here he says, brothers and sisters, We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And here's what we find when we remember that Jesus is King and when we choose to come into His kingdom, when we choose now for our need to bow, we find a resource that even in the darkest night, That even in a time of grief like we're in, it doesn't say we're immune from that grief. We grieve over the loss of life and over the pain that so many of us are in right now. And yet, what Scripture tells us is that within our grief, we have the resource for hope. A hope that's not rooted in you or me, but a hope that's rooted in King Jesus. And we need that hope more than ever. So when we see Jesus as King, it gives us hope in the midst of the dark night that we're in. We're not immune from the dark night. We will go through hard times, but in the midst of the darkness, we find hope in King Jesus. Now, I wear glasses. Uh, I wear contacts right now most of the time, but, but my eyes, they need some sort of help to be able to see clearly. 
And uh, if you're not a glasses wearer, you may not know this, but, but glasses, like some people's eyes, they're, they're, they're nearsighted so they can see up close well, but they can't see far off. That's me. Other people are farsighted. They can see far off, but they can't see up close. Other people have different eye issues. And so uh, eye glasses makers, uh, they make the lenses to help the eye see differently. So my lenses are shaped in such a way uh, to help my nearsightedness, for me to be able to see in ways that I couldn't before. And when I think about hope, I like to think about when we know King Jesus, when we celebrate King Jesus, that it gives us these uh, hope-shaped lenses. These lenses that we have over the way that we see life that bring out the hope. That even in the darkness, we see life through a new way. We grieve, but not as the rest of the world grieves. We grieve with hope. We see with hope. And so as we celebrate today, I hope you're reminded of King Jesus. I hope you're reminded of His goodness. And I hope today helps you to put on your hope-shaped lenses as we begin to look on the midst of the circumstance that we're in with a Jesus point of view, with hope, because His kingdom is now and is to come. And if we remember that, we find the power and the joy and the love and the hope that we need for the week that is ahead of us. Now, if you're watching this video and you're like, I don't know that I've ever bowed my knee to King Jesus. I mean, I don't know that I've ever legit, maybe I kind of believe in Jesus, maybe I've read about Jesus, but, but, but maybe I've been to church, but I don't know that I've ever like bowed my knee to the king. I want to give you an opportunity to do that now because you need a king like this. We need a king like this over our lives, right? And, and the way we bow the knee, so to speak, is that we surrender to King Jesus. We we make Jesus the Lord. We make Jesus the King. We we take ourselves off that King's throne and we say, Jesus, you're the rightful King over my life. And when we do that, we get to enter into the life of the kingdom of God even now. The fullness is to come, but the foretaste is now for you and for me. We begin to walk in that hope that God desires for us to have. And so if you're watching this and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you want to bow your knee to King Jesus for the first time, I want to lead you in a short and simple prayer that's the beginning of a lifelong journey with Jesus, but such a meaningful step to get started. If you close your eyes and and pray alongside me, Jesus, you're awesome. Thank you that you are the true king over all. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. That there I find forgiveness. There I find cleansing. There I find healing. There I find freedom. There I find family. There I find hope. I bow my knee to you, King Jesus, and joyfully choose to follow you as my King this day and every day going forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, church family,
as we continue in our time together, I want you to let this revelation of Jesus as King and the victory that He brings fuel us as we go into worship and encountering Him. Last week, we were reminded that when we go into worship, it's a way of declaring our trust in God. That when we go into worship, we're rejoicing at God's salvation. We were finding joy. We're finding the hallelujah anyhow. As we learned earlier this year, that even in the midst of all the problems and pain around us, that there's a place for hallelujah because of what Jesus has done. We're rejoicing in His salvation. And we're singing because God has been good to us. And in the cross and the resurrection, Jesus has been so good to us. And so I want to invite you to stand. And as we go into worship, I want to remind you that you're not just worshiping in your living room, but you are coming before the King of all kings, our glorious King. And you may want to kneel before King Jesus. You may want to lift your hands. You may want to lay down on the floor. You may want to extend your hands this way. But I want to encourage you to rejoice this morning to declare your trust, to sing because God has been good to us, and let's encounter the Lord together. Our fight is with weapons unseen. Your enemies crash to their knees as we rise up in worship. When trials unleash like a flood, the battle belongs to our God as we rise up in worship. The victory is yours, you're riding on the storm. Your name is unfailing Though kingdoms rise and fall Your throne withstands them all Your name is unshaken What helmets to break me has fed cry out in worship. Oh, 
together and we're just going to keep on encountering the Lord by celebrating communion together. When we gather physically, we've been taking communion each week and I know this is a little different to be spread out in houses and homes, you know, around our city and around our world, but 
Recently, I, I saw on uh, TV a picture of these catacombs in Turkey, these small little caves that were cut out in the mountains that the early Christians had to flee to because of persecution. And as I was watching that, I was remembering how our faith is one that has survived and even thrived through countless situations, times where we could be together and celebrate, and times where we were all split up, uh, our forefathers and mothers hiding in caves uh, and taking the Lord's Supper there. And so I want to encourage you where you are to find some bread and to find some wine or some grape juice or, or just something. Uh, and we're just going to trust the Lord that as we take this, that there's power in taking this together and meeting with Him on this Easter Sunday. This Resurrection Sunday. And so as we take of communion, we take of the bread and we remember that Jesus is the bread of life and that he gave us his bread. And he said that I want you to take of this bread. That's my body broken for you. And so we break the bread together and as we take it and we break it. In just a moment, we're going to to eat it and we're going to commune with the Lord and remember Him there. And Then He said of the cup, He said, this is My blood poured out as the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And so when we take of the wine or the juice or whatever you have, we're remembering His blood poured out for us. So let's do this now. Let's take of the bread and take of the cup and let's meet with the Lord together here on this Resurrection Sunday. Jesus, we remember You. We remember Your body broken for us. We remember Your blood poured out for us, Lord. And we're so grateful and we're so thankful, Lord. Thank You for who You are. And we celebrate You today. Now church, if we were together, what we would say now on a Resurrection Sunday is that I would say He is risen. And you would say He's risen indeed. So I'm going to say it here. And then I encourage you to respond wherever you are. He is risen. What a rich time together to celebrate the risen King Jesus. We hope that as you end this time of remembering Christ's resurrection and look forward to his return, that you would know that God is always with you through every circumstance of life. Here at Antioch, we believe that we are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, practice his ways, and build his kingdom in our city, nation, and nations of the earth. And though our circumstances have changed, our mission is not. Therefore, uh, there are a few ways we want to encourage you to walk this mission out this week. So as we consider how we can be sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, we want to invite you to grow in your relationship with the Lord uh, through our Sunday worship experience. We've also uh, prepared age-appropriate experiences for your kids, and you can find these on our church's dedicated YouTube channel. 
Additionally, we've been diligent in developing devotions uh, for you to personally spend time with Jesus. And you can find these uh, by visiting bewithjesus.me. We practice his ways uh, by continuing to attend life groups. During this time of social distancing, we are encouraging life groups to meet virtually. So whether you meet via Zoom or Google Hangouts or any other online platform, the point is uh, that your virtual life groups be discipleship communities that practice the ways of Jesus together in neighborhoods throughout our city. Another way we practice his ways is through our giving. We desire to continue to live our calling to be a generous church. So in this season, we want to encourage you uh, to give so that as a church body, we can continue to bless our city in this time of crisis. Let's continue being a church that meets the needs of those who have needs. And so you can give online or uh, by texting the number that comes up on the screen uh, with that prompt. We have identified two ways to build his kingdom in our city, nation, and nations of the earth. The first is prayer. We're hosting daily prayer time from noon to one every Monday through Saturday. And we're setting aside this time uh, to contend in prayer and intercede on behalf of our city, on behalf of our nation and the nations of the earth. The second is uh, through serving by reaching out to your neighbors and city with Christ's love. So whether that's um, giving an outreach card to your neighbors or letting us know how you can meet a need or as a life group provide meals for various individuals, we have a way to connect you with those opportunities. Lastly, you may be joining us for the very first time because uh, maybe a friend, a neighbor, a coworker either personally invited you or maybe they posted something on social media and that is why you are watching us today. Let me let you know, we are honored that you would take the time uh, to tune in with us and we want to get to know you. So during this time of social distancing, we have specifically created an opportunity for you to get to know more about our church and for us to get to know you. We call this uh, Discover Antioch Dallas. Discover Antioch Dallas is going to take place uh, via Zoom on April 19th at 4 p.m. You're cordially invited to be our honored guest. Put it on your calendar and don't miss out. It's time uh, now to say our declaration. Our declaration is based off of Isaiah 61 and we say it every week to reorient us to who Jesus is and what he does in us and through us. So let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus is the bread of life. And that means he is good news for our poverty, healing for our brokenness, liberty for our bondage, favor for our world, victory over our darkness, comfort for our sorrow, and provision for our need. As such, we are called to be sons and daughters who encounter Jesus. He is at work in our lives, transforming our ashes into beauty, mourning into joy, despair into hope, and building us into oaks of righteousness planted by God to display his splendor. As such, we practice his ways that we might grow vibrant like oak trees. He is at work through us to see people who have been stranded by sin, rescued to life and liberty in Christ. 
As such, we desire to leverage our lives to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Church, we are praying big prayers for you as we all persevere together in this time. We love you. Go in peace.